0: You're listening to Ladies Who League.
1: Good morning everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. Can't wait to introduce you to my panel, so let's get started. First of all, I've got Casey Badger, an NRL referee. Good morning, Casey. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. I know you've got to head to the airport straight after this, so we're very appreciative of your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. No, that's okay. And I've got Helen Wood Grant, Director of the Men of League
2: Foundation. Good morning. Good morning, Mary.
1: Thank you so much for also making the time to come in. I know you've got a busy weekend this weekend.
2: Yeah, no, delighted to be here. Absolutely delighted.
1: Thank you. And Von Sampson
0: from Channel 9. Hi, Vonnie. Hello, ladies. How are you?
2: Very good. How are
1: you? I'm
0: good. I'm good. Thank you for coming in. I'm so in awe of how fit Casey is and how (laughs) glam Helen is, and and I don't bring a lot. (laughs) No, nor do I, to be
1: honest. I've got the voice for radio. That's what I bring to the table. I thought we'd jump straight into last night's game. Um, If I think about the two games that we've had so far, so West Tigers v Rabbitohs and Parramatta v Canterbury, I think the word that I would use to characterize the performances is brave. Uh, Parramatta came out last night. They won 20 to 12 over the Bulldogs. And brave is the word that I want to use to describe them. Bonnie, what did you think of the game?
0: Yeah, I was out of both matches. And um, interestingly, the other synergy between two of these games was that both the sides that ended up being victorious lost pivotal key players you know, not long before kickoff. And Mitchell Mm -hmm. Moses, obviously, they were halfway out the tunnel. I think um, half of the Tigers were out onto the field before Mitchell Moses uh, was officially ruled out. And then obviously uh, with the Eels, Kieran Foran, a dramatic 24 hours for Parramatta. But it revealed the character of both of those sides. Now, I don't know if rugby league builds character, but it certainly reveals it. And we saw some incredible stuff and tough football from Parramatta. And uh, to the Tigers' credit, they came through and, um, and really surprised a few people as well. So, for me, the, the last two nights of, of football have been hugely promising for both of those sides. Uh, it sort of felt like uh, with the uh, with Souths and the Tigers, it was almost a Michael Maguire, Jason Taylor one. It was like a Game of Thrones one was <laughs> going to die at the end of this match, and most people thought it was JT, but uh, now the blowtorch is on Madge. And Helen, you must have been delighted as a Tigers fan following the loss by the
1: Tigers last week, 60 to 6 to see them come out and play with so much character, particularly after losing Mitchell Moses in the warm up and being down Aaron Woods and a couple of other key players.
2: Mm, yeah, because we had Aaron and another forward out. And then as time went on, you know, things got worse through the game in terms of injury. But look, 60 to 6 was pretty crucifying and uh, exactly as Vonnie said you know you end up in a situation I think where you've got so much pressure internally in the club as we know they're I mean the businesses and they're, they're coaches who live game to game so you've got so much going on inside west tigers one would presume um that creates massive pressures apart from we've just embarrassed ourselves 66 Mm. yeah and and to come back out knowing well not really realizing actually how bad it was going to be until you know we, we lost moses and then sort of you face your opposition and you don't know whether they're also going to come out cross you know crunching on glass as they walk down the race, you know, just mad as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the other thing about the two games, the Parramatta game and the Tug's game, was um, very hugely – Raw physicality. Mm-hmm. I just really felt that they were bare knuckle fights, you know. And I guess that's the stage at which those teams are. All of them, all of them feel backed into a corner, and that's what's going to happen. So it made for fabulous Woody.
1: It certainly did, and there were some real standout performances. So if I think about the Raboitz Tigers game, for me, Jordan Rankin was outstanding. Uh, he's a youngster and, and and played with a lot of courage, particularly after a couple of weeks ago we saw that incident where there were two balls on the field and he made a horrible error. So it was. Really Really good to see that. But last night for Parramatta, Corey Norman I thought really stood up and was a real leader. Casey, did you see last night's game and what did you think of Corey Norman? Yeah,
3: definitely. I think Corey um, really stood out in that game. Mm -hmm. I think very similar to when you see um, like a a Josh Dugan performance when when he's really on, you just see he's trying so hard. And watching last night, Corey Norman was just doing everything he could to try and um, lift his side, carry his side, be the person who you know put in that that extra amount of work to to bring everyone up up with him um i thought that was a really brave performance from him he's a a smaller guy Mm -hmm. you know He was getting knocked around a little bit but he kept getting getting in there Mm -hmm. and i think that's what you want out of your your key playmakers Mm -hmm. um if you can have one of your halves who's putting in and taking those hits as as much as a a big forward would i mean that's got to carry the rest of your side
1: it it certainly did and and just outstanding from Parramatta, I thought, following the news after Kieran Foran. Um, what I sort of want to say about that news is that I've written a story for The Raw this morning about it. I hope now that Kieran is sort of given the time and the respect of the rugby league community to take as much time as he needs away from the game to um, to get his head right. So I was very sad reading that story and player welfare is, is a number one priority for me and as a fan, that's really all I want for my players, for them to be right on and off the field.
3: I think... Like if anything comes out of this, I think it shows how supportive the rugby league community mm-hmm. is when there's an issue like this at hand that at the end of the day it comes down to player welfare and, you know, look, looking after, you know, everyone's well-being. And um, I think mean, that's really shown, you know, you get you people on social media and just your general knockabout critics but, um, you know, within the club and within the game. I think Kieran knows he would have everyone's support.
0: Mm-hmm. Casey, I agree. I think this is when rugby league shows uh, their strength and and what a, a family it can be. Um, you're right on social media. You still see sub ignorance from mm-hmm. from general punters. You know, questioning it's it's you know mental health is is crippling, just as a broken leg would be. And if he if Kieran had broken his leg, you wouldn't ask him to keep playing on it. So it's I think while most people are quite educated about uh, the dangers of, of mental health and and um, you know making sure that they have the right support networks in place to, to make sure that you know people like Kieran, and uh, uh, you know return to the field in a, in a positive frame uh, there are still some <coughs> idiots out there who don't quite they yeah. can't we'll never get around it we'll never, never get yeah we'll never get, get rid, rid of,
1: of all of them yeah uh, Looking ahead for the rest of the games this weekend, Bonnie,
0: is there a particular game that you're most excited about? Oh, my God. I can't wait for the Sharks and the Broncos. Isn't that going to be a cracker? I cannot wait. (laughs) A Sunday afternoon down at the Shire, first of all, that's a massive win. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Sharks are playing tough football. Aren't they? And they still have that reputation of dragging people down to whatever sort of game they want to play. If they want to get into a scrap, that's what's going to happen. If they want to play good finesse football, that's what's going to happen. It's for some reason the Sharks have this power that control the flow of a game, Mm -hmm. whether they win or lose, they still have a major impact on how that 80 minutes goes. The Broncos are the best team in the competition at the moment.
1: I think the Broncos and the Cowboys are the absolute standouts. Uh, No one, it's sort of the Broncos and the Cowboys up top and then there's a bit of a drop and there are a couple of other teams and then we've got another drop again. Uh, But the Sharks and the Broncos will be outstanding. And I tipped the Sharks at the beginning to win the premiership and everyone laughed at me. (laughs) I don't think, Well, no, you're not so well, silly. I'm not no, so silly. Not I'm fair not fair. completely ridiculous. Oh, please, I
0: tip the Warriors to get the spoon and everyone laughed laugh at me. Now I'm not who's so silly.
1: <laughs> well, the Warriors are another interesting team. Yeah. I'm not really sure what's going on there, and they've got another tough game coming up this weekend. I'm feeling a bit sorry for the Warriors at the moment. I think,
3: yeah. Uh, I think that'll be a really interesting game this weekend is the Warriors one when you've got, um, you know, a few debutantes and they've made six major changes. Uh, what about from- Andrew McFly? <laughs> That's Well that's the thing he's made he's made some big calls this weekend and that'll be interesting to see as a as a fan of the game just to see how those players stand up um it could be a turning point of the season for the warriors one way or the other but um i think that's going to be a really good one to watch to see how those players stand up and to see how the other players um actually respond to that both the ones who have been dropped and the ones who are still in the side um to see if if they take it upon themselves to you know, to step up to, to, to show more leadership on the field to help those new blokes along. Um, that would be a good – it could be a good game. Casey, you're
0: down – oh, sorry, Helen. Casey, you're down on, on ground level mm-hmm. and you you see things that a lot of the cameras don't see at all. With the Warriors and they talk about this bro culture, do mm-hmm. you see the effort from the Warriors? Are they lazy? Do they make the, the effort? I wouldn't say that they're,
3: that they're lazy um, at, at all. I think um, – a lot of people sort of say the, those sorts of things. I think at the end of the day, they're professional athletes, mm. and in any in any game, when you hear people at the end of the game say, "Oh, they just didn't show up," or "the effort's just not there," I never see that on ground level. The effort is always there. I don't think any any NRL player couldn't get through an eighty minute game without putting in effort. Mm. It's it's too dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> really, absolutely. at the end of, at the end of the day, um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. I'm not a I'm not a coach, but. Um, the, the effort is definitely there. It's got to be something different. Um, I think when an Andrew McFadden might come out and say that the effort's not there or Ricky Stewart the, the other week, mm-hmm. a lot of that might stem from um, from off the field, from at training and you see things like that. And I think in any professional sporting organisation, um, you know, the coach and the coaching staff can see, you know, the, the athletes who might not be putting in or applying themselves as to, to the level which is required. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that comes across as much on the field.
2: And I think ever comes in a variety of forms, doesn't it? I mean, if a coach is talking publicly about his team critically, then invariably there's a very, very good reason for that. And it's to do with motivation, focusing th- their attention. There's a whole bunch of reasons coaches publicly st- say a lot of things and a lot of it's strategic, obviously. Um, and I think that sort of wholesale change has got to focus, focus thinking by oh, yeah. all of the guys who are now watching. There's nothing worse than watching, is there? These guys oh, don't want to be observers oh, def- at all and it's a pride thing too. Yeah,
3: definitely not. You, you never want to be in reserve grade. You always mm-hmm. want to no. be there on the, the main yeah. game. And like I said, it's not it, – it'll have an impact on the blokes who have been dropped obviously but it's also got to have an impact on the rest of the guys who are absolutely. still there going, oh, Absolutely geez, one – Could be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could – one, I've retained my spot and it could mm. be me and, geez, the coach isn't scared to, to drop mm. people. doesn't matter mm. how many games they've been in. And secondly – geez, I've really got to step up my game because I've got some young blokes with me and, mm. you know, I've got to help carry them.
2: And that different combination, who knows what that's going to produce. The fantastic yeah. thing about this this sort of volume of change is that it's going to produce something that is going to be different.
3: Mm, exactly Hopefully right. it's a different grade. Exactly right. It's not one player. That's a whole team yeah. structure yeah. which is going to change. Yeah.
1: And Helen, before we wrap up this segment, I wanted to ask you what your tip was for the game between the Roosters and the Knights. So the Roosters have a couple of big players coming back. They've got Mitchell Pearce coming back, Jared Ware Hargraves, and Boyd Cordner was back for them last week. Can the Knights topple them?
2: What do you think? No, I I honestly (laughs) don't believe they can. I'd love to think they could because, you know, look, all – never say never mm-hmm. in this game of ours and um, we've seen so many extraordinary things and we've seen so many things decided you know in extra time and so whoever knows what the knights will bring to the table on the day but i think with pierce back with um warrior hargraves back with gordon um cordon having had a solid game i think he felt his way and i think you know so now i guess The Roosters, particularly after the excitement of the game last week for them, their coach and his statements and a whole bunch of stuff that went on, there's a lot of energy around the Roosters, Mm -hmm. so I think I couldn't possibly tip against them, and in fact, I did not. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so we're
0: going with the Roosters. Helen, can I just ask you, Trent Robinson is one of the most, um, influential young and, and, um, overachieving coaches that we've got in the game. What did you think about his outburst on Anzac Day? Did you think that was out of character and probably revealed that he's under a bit of pressure? Um,
2: I was out of character, sure. Um, and he, they, all coaches are under extreme pressure. So yeah, look, I think, um, I think we've seen that a, a lot of times this season, but sorry, a lot of times um this season we've seen coaches like Dez, for example, and others show monumental self-control in in those um, post-game um, conferences. He called them
0: Voldemorts. That's not self-control. <laughs> no, 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 that's not
2: this season. <laughs> that was last season. That was last season. But so I guess what I'm saying is I think uh, the coaches are understanding. It seems to me, look, just I only know what I'm seeing on the television screen or or whatever like everybody else but it seems to me that there's been a general acceptance that there's a lot of things that can be said best said privately to whoever but you know sometimes again is it strategic was it just a, a very very frustrated guy Did he feel it was going to change the view of his players in some way that would be helpful to him? Look, It could be a million different things, I think. But, look, it adds to the theatre, doesn't it?
0: It certainly was. Uh, Casey, how did Ben Cummins react to that? Um, Benny's not easily um, uh, shaken by that sort of stuff. I don't
3: think anyone at at, at the elite level really is. Um, Obviously, Benny would take on board... Things from his game as we do every week with, with coaching points, you know, from our end and things he, he potentially could have, have done better. But I think what Helen touched on before about sometimes those sorts of outbursts are strategic from coaches. So I know from, from our point of view, we don't, um, take a lot of credence out, out of that sort of stuff. Um, you, you can't let it unsettle you. You can't go, go into it thinking, oh, geez, Trent Robinson doesn't like me. Yeah, you can't go the rest of your career thinking, Oh, this coach likes me or this coach doesn't. You mm-hmm. won't have a very long career if you if you worry about those sorts of things. So um it's yeah, I think Benny would Benny was fine during the week and he'll continue to be fine. Um like I said he would just take on the coaching points as he would for any other game, um and from in, internally from the referees department. Like I said, we look at the things that we can control. Um Robbo was under like I said, he is under a little bit of pressure, under mm-hmm. a bit of stress and there were things that he felt, um, you know, went against him and doesn't really bother us that much.
1: That's probably the right way to be, I think, Casey. We might wrap it up there and we'll come back and have a chat to you about some refereeing. Casey, I think it's time to have a bit of a chat with you. My first question is always to people what their earliest memory of rugby league is.
3: Um, I've got a few. I started playing the game when I was four, so I have most of my early life memories revolve around football. But, um, from a, from a top grade level, some of my earliest memories are watching Mau Meninga kick for goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, when, when I was, when I was playing, I would always, um, toe poke the ball and that was just copying, copying what Mau Meninga did. Um, you know, he was probably one of the biggest players at, at the time when I was, you know, when I was really young. So I always remember that, trying to copy the way he kicked for goal. And I remember, um, going to watch him play his last game for Australia in Australia at Parramatta Stadium. I always remember that as well.
1: And Casey, when did you begin refereeing? How did you decide that that was something that you wanted to get involved with? It's probably not the most inspiring
3: story. I sort of, um, it was sort of a bit of an accident, really. Um, so like I said, I, I played the game for years and then, um, you know, there, there were no avenues once I turned 13 for, for girls to play anymore. Um, so just played sort of every other sport available in the country um and then I just had a friend uh when I was in year 12 um he wanted to do a referees course and pretty much he didn't have his license and needed a lift to the to the place and he asked me if I would go and hang out with him and if my mum could give us a lift and so I said to my I was on the way home from school and got a text message and said to mum oh mum can you drive me and Pat to this to Parramatta Leagues Club to do this referees course um just to hang out with him and did the course and then started refereeing. So like I said it wasn't inspiring. I just, it was a bit of by accident, but then I started it and just fell in love with it.
1: I actually really love that story <laughs> and I think it's fantastic. Casey, you mentioned that. You'd played rugby league and then there weren't any pathways for you to continue to play. It must be very exciting to see the rise of the Gillaroos yeah. and how much publicity and promotion they're getting and that there really has become a, a real pathway for young women that want to play the game.
3: Yeah, th- that avenue is really developing. It's it's really exciting to see on one hand and on the other hand it's it's so frustrating. <laughs> I see these things come out like this new under-14s and under-16s competitions and I'm like, oh, where was this when I was that age? Because, um, you know, that was so, it was so heartbreaking for me. <laughs> As a as a twelve year old, I finished playing and won the best and fairest award in the under twelves and then a couple of months later, oh, you're not allowed to play
1: anymore. Well, looking at a gillaroo you could have been And the
0: Jillaro, Casey.
3: Well, well, I played a bit I played some open age football once I turned eighteen and nineteen. I played in the women's competition, um, played for City, um, got asked to train on with the New South Wales side and stuff like that. And by that stage I'd started refereeing and really had to to pick what I wanted to do. And at the end of the day, um you know, re- refereeing gave me the chance to have a, have a career, um, to get out on on the field in the NRL, to be paid for pretty much living the life of, of an athlete. So that took me down that path. But um, it's something when I see the gilleroo's Gil- play, I saw them, um, you know, at the Auckland Nines mm-hmm. and see them in the Test matches, I think, oh, geez, I would have at least once loved to have done that to pull on that jersey and, you know, have the national anthem playing mm. and that's something that I would have loved to have done. Mm. Yeah, no regrets about the choice, you know, the <laughs> path that, that I've chosen but that's just something that I would have loved to have done.
1: And, Casey, I'm really interested in the training. As a referee, what sort of training do you need to be doing to be keeping fit?
3: Yeah, um, it's it's very physically demanding. We mm. run about about 10 kilometres a um a game. Um and in that your heart rate's usually over 170 beats beats a minute and you're making hundreds upon hundreds of decisions per game. And on top of that, you're also talking during during the game. So you think about if you go for a run and you're with a friend and you're trying to chat and you know how puffed out you get, um I think a lot of people don't take that into account is how much talking we actually do on the field um, and how physically demanding that is. So um we've got uh we've got a very good strength and conditioning staff um with NRL referees. We'll do anywhere from probably eight to ten physical sessions a week, um, and that's a mix of, um, of of running, weights, bike sessions, swims. Um, it's very strategic the way they they work our sessions around. Um, you know, what, what games we've got. So for example, this week, um I had an NRL touchline on Thursday night and I'm referring an under twenties game on Sunday. So it's likely in the week leading up that I won't do an extra running session. Um just take that load off the legs, but I'll do three weight sessions and
0: three off leg sessions and swim recovery as as well. So it's pretty it's pretty full on, but it's very enjoyable. As someone who witnesses the amount of uh fitness that is required, I see Casey running up and down. I'm sitting on the sideline at the same time eating bags of snake lollies, by the way. <laughs> I get puffed just watching you and you keep pace. Mm. You know, if someone makes an intercept, mm. you are absolutely up on the speed like a like a black caviar sprinter. <laughs> the only thing I can do is run a bath. So <laughs> I am very much in awe when I see how, how much dedication it takes to to just keep up with the boys and then keep in control of them. Um, it's the, the, the physical side is something that a lot of people um, outside of, of our
3: group really don't understand mm-hmm. um, from a – A cardio point of view, um, the squad is as fit to the fitter range of what a player is because you think if I'm a player and I'm just going, oh, geez, I'm really knackered right now All right, I just won't take this hit up or I'll move out to this side or whatever, there's nowhere for us to hide. If we're out of position and we make make an error, then there's a lot of heat on us. So we just – and I can't just go, oh, I'm a bit tired now. I'll just let them run a bit and I'll catch up later. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, yeah, that's one of the toughest parts of it, but it's also one of the most enjoyable parts of it.
1: Casey, can you explain to us a a rule that some of us might might not know like an unknown sort of rugby league rule. I was interested the other night when I saw two players putting the ball down simultaneously, yeah. and worked out that it favours the attacking yeah. team. That was something that I hadn't seen very often.
3: Oh, there's there's plenty of those sorts of things. So yeah, that that was one example. So if the if the ball is placed down simultaneously, it goes to the attacking team. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw one the other week in in Newcastle actually. It was Gavin's game where the ball got there was a second ball on the field and it got kicked. So that's um uh, what's called a mutual infringement. And that's one that doesn't come up very often. Um, so mutual infringement is when something, um, un-, un- or, uh, sorry, yeah, out of the ordinary happens, um, and it affects the game. Um, then a scrum will be packed, and the loose head and feed goes to the attacking team. Now the attacking team isn't the team with the ball. The attacking team is the team with the territorial advantage. Hmm. So whoever's inside the other team's hmm. half. So you could not have the ball. And something like that happens, so the ball could hit the referee. For example, there's a second ball on the field. A streaker runs on the field and 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 tackles <laughs> someone.
0: You know, any anything. Some like. of those streakers make really good meters, by the <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, very <laughs> quickly as tackle. well. Yep,
3: yeah. tackle busts all yeah. over the shop. <laughs> so that that that's probably one of the more unusual ones. And that came from um, you know back in the day, unlimited tackle count. The the game was about um, field field position. Um, so the ball went to the team with the territorial advantage. Um, so there's there's lots of really little weird rules in the game. Uh, you know, one came up last year with with the Bulldogs, the Good Friday game, and Jerry Sutton. And you know, if if the hit's put on the guy taking a, a field goal attempt, then the penalty's from straight in front. There's plenty of those sorts of rules in the game, which. A um, lot of people don't understand.
0: Casey, had you heard of the sandbagging until yep. a fortnight ago? Was yeah. That- so the sa- <laughs> yeah, um, that's a the sandbagging rule is actually um, a safe play
3: code rule. So a safe play code is for under sixes to under fifteens. So it actually doesn't apply um, mm-hmm. to over that age group. Um, the way we apply it is if there's unnecessary. Um, forceful contact on a player. That's dangerous. Um, so we'll apply it in
1: that sense. But the sandbagging rule, yeah, that's um, found the sixes to 15.
0: Don't be a bully rule.
1: Yeah, pretty oh, much. Like it. We'll, we'll rename it the don't be a bully <laughs> yeah. rule. Uh, Casey, have you been into the bunker? That's the yep. next question I want to ask. Yes. And what's it like and what impact do you think that that's had on our game so far this yeah, year? It's a, it's
3: a very impressive setup from our point mm-hmm. of view. Um, the the quality of vision that we can get out of that and the coaching that we can get out of that from a referees group is just oh, phenomenal. Um, I think there's a very big misconception that the bunker is getting involved in things that it shouldn't be, or it's getting involved in um, things that, uh, that that it never got, it, like the video referee never got involved in in the past, which is completely untrue. Um, the things that the video that that the bunker can be involved in is exactly the same as what the video ref has been involved in for the last decade. Um, so there's actually not um, the, the, there's no more things that the bunker is ruling on than the video ref ever did in the past. Um, what the bunker does for us is that as decision makers, there's there's things that I, I, I could make a call on the field and there was only one camera angle of it, for example. And in review, we look at it and go, you mm, can't really tell if that's right or wrong or it could look wrong. Mm. But then the bunker's got 13 different angles and we get that vision and it actually proves that our decision was correct. So for a good decision maker um, within our squad, you're not scared of the bunker. You love the bunker because it proves that your decisions are, are, are right. Um, and there's all, all the coaching things that we can get out of it. So positionally, the things that we can see, like I said, you've got 13 different cameras and we have access to all of that. So there's just the amount of vision we can get. We've just never, ever had before as a squad. So for us, it's just unbelievable.
1: And Casey, before we finish up this segment, I just wanted to ask what are your goals for the rest of the year and for the coming seasons?
3: Yeah, um, it's a –
1: <laughs> it's always a difficult one in in, in refereeing because um,
3: I can't say that you know I'll, I want well I can't say that I want to referee first grade. Mm-hmm. That's always I and mean, that's always the goal from from here on in. Um, you know that's always what I want to do. Um, whether that's a goal for this season or next season, I can't really say because um, it's it's not like if I run hundred meters in under ten seconds I'll go to the Olympics.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It's very. Um, subjective what we do as referees and it's also dependent on how those above me are performing. I could be having a 10 out of 10 performance every week but if they're all refereeing well, I'm not going to take their spot. Mm -hmm. Um, So for here on out, for me, it's that I want to be ready to referee first grade whenever that opportunity might present itself and I feel like I am. I feel like I've done everything I possibly can to prepare myself for that moment um, and I've just got to keep refining all the skills that I've got um, week in, week out keep doing the right things on the touchline in the NRL when I have those opportunities and keep performing well in reserve grade and in under-20s when I'm there.
1: Casey, we certainly look forward to watching your progress and and watching you make your first grade debut whenever that happens. (laughs) Thank you. That's okay. Now, Helen, I wanted to have a quick chat with you about the Men of League Foundation. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the work that the foundation does because I think there's a bit of a misconception in the public that the Men of League
2: Foundation is only about former players and that's simply not the case, is it? No, it's not. Look, let's start with the name, um, Men of League Foundation. Um, that name was chosen in 2002 when a group of guys who most definitely were um, ex-players, Decided to, that there was a real welfare need that wasn't being met in the rugby league community. And so the men of league actually refers to that initial group who were the drivers for the fundraising. Um, I think it because there was a fair bit of need uh, identified with ex-players at the time, these being players who had played twenty years ago, and yeah, so these were quite elderly people or, 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 or getting older type guys. So it wasn't the recently retired even initially, but very swiftly, further need. There's nothing like raising your hand and saying we're here to help to find that there's a whole bunch of people who need helping. So that's really what's happened since 2002 and uh, there is a massive um, uh, emphasis on proper process. So if someone wants assistance, um, we don't just hand 50 bucks and pat them on the head. Um, it's a genuinely well-vetted welfare process for a start and you could, for example, currently we're helping and without going into too much detail, because obviously everyone, you know, we help people <clears throat> on a, you know, in a confidential way, unless they particularly ask us that they'd like to help us by showcasing their particular circumstance. But generally speaking, at the moment, we're helping people, um, who are, uh, ladies who've never played the game, but who have volunteered for many years who were for example, putting up curtains in a, um, in a canteen in a grassroots club fell and shattered a leg in 10 places. Um, we're helping, um, the children of players, oh, sorry, of people involved in the game. And we're talking about, you know, group teams in the country. Um, we're not talking about first grade NRL people mm-hmm. at this point, um, uh, who have, who, the fathers who have either passed away. Or are in some kind of, um, dire need themselves. So we help the father or in fact, in another case, a female player. We also help the children who invariably, if the parent's in trouble and often it's a single parent scenario, then we're needing to help the children. We're increasingly, um, finding that the claims, if you will, the need is in the um, mental health space. So um, no surprises there. Um, you know, the rabbi league community is the community. We're not a subset of the community or some strange other kind of um, group. Um, so we're going to reflect all the strengths and weaknesses of the wider community. So we help Men, women, and children. And in fact, our tagline is helping the men, women, and children of the rugby league community. Um, and we help grassroots. We help people who um, people who have um, coached, for example, for many years um, and who've fallen hard times. So you don't have to have a strap footy boots on, but you do have to have a demonstrable and significant investment in the game. To further clarify, um, what happens is. If you are a first-grade NRL player or or even an NRL player in waiting, the clubs have welfare responsibility for you with oversight from the NRL, obviously, who do an unbelievably brilliant job with their welfare programs and, again, another group that not not enough is known about. But that that welfare oversight is, is really significant. Then the players retire and the NRL offer education for them and their partners and all kinds of other support, as do the clubs, um, for that really difficult period of moving from being a public figure to being a private figure. And even if we just put it that way, not to mention the difference in salary and all the other adjustments that families make to absent fathers and, in the Gillaroo's case, potentially absent mothers and then everyone needing to come back and reconstruct lives of a different nature. That all again happens under the club slash NRL banner, that transition. Once those players are are out, out of the game, they're, they're also, the Players Association also has um, a, an involvement in their welfare. And that's the point at which we, should there be a welfare issue, we would certainly be happy to advise and consult. But because of all the other stages and all of the other opportunities for assistance, we find a greater need, if you will, in the in the rest of the rugby league community but we would never, ever walk away from an ex-player should we find they had some huge necessity mm-hmm. of circumstance. Um, so we're selective on priority of need, not on whether you're a man, woman, child, where you live, what you do. No, it's all about need.
1: I think the tagline really is that the Men of League Foundation is there to assist members of the Rugby League family, yep. and that family includes men, women, children, former players, referees, volunteers. Uh, we're one family and it's there to help. We are indeed, yep. I'd really be interested to know where your involvement with Rugby League began and how that morphed into an involvement with the Men of League Foundation.
2: Um, like probably everyone else in the Rugby League family Um, I was born into it. I mean, you kind of – I don't remember not being involved because um, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, The sport was the language that everyone spoke. So, um, uh, only girl in a family of boys, both my mother and father, very, very sporty people. So we were expected to, to be involved in sport. So they saw that for all the reasons we know, team discipline, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, they were just really interested and wanted to drive us to all these different games and do all these different things. I did the hockey thing. Mm-hmm. The boys did the footy thing um, of various kinds. They played soccer, league, and union, um, and um, so it was a house forever. The father a tiger, mother an eel. Um, Dad claimed the three kids. Mum stood solid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and boy, what what a reward this year is for <laughs> for, the, for the faithful of Parramatta. But um, yeah, so. Me- first, really vivid memories at a game are Leichhardt Oval, mm-hmm. the white picket fence, the fig trees. Yeah. yeah, very, very, very strong. And still, when I'm there, it's just I can feel dad right beside me. There's yeah. nothing
1: quite like a suburban ground, is there? No. And with the Man of League Foundation, if people want to get involved, if people want to help, how can people get involved? Tell us.
2: Okay, first thing. It's only $20 to become a member. I reckon that's, you know, in a few cups of coffee and, and you're there. It's so, a bargain. Yeah. So, um, that, um, and even if, you know, and even if that's too much of a stretch, um, the website's easily accessible, menofleague.com.au. Um, we, it is a, it's quite a lively site showing all the things our committees do because, our structure is that it was born of this driving group. It's supported by um, 40 plus committees across the country. And these committees are a group of serious fundraisers. And they're also our welfare eyes and ears in many ways. Now, we get welfare references from all over, not just from our committees. They're hugely important to us, is that, you know, guy, the, the guys and girls on the ground. Huge number of women involved in that mm. um, and doing a fantastic job for us as are the guys. Um, we partner with sponsors who are hugely valuable to us. So I don't know who's listening. Maybe you're a potential sponsor. So we're always happy to talk to sponsors. So, um, But mostly we just attend functions that we have on, you know. There's lots and lots of fun stuff we do. Um, it's it's um, a real celebration of the game and our way of celebrating is to give back where we see the opportunity. So it's not a dull, depressing, you know, litany of disaster. It's a gr- It's numerous groups of people having a huge amount of fun, raising money for people whose lives don't have much fun in them.
1: I'm not so, to single out anyone that works for the Men of League Foundation because everyone that I've been involved with has been tremendous. But I know Ben Ross is very, very involved and to see the passion and integrity that he works with is truly a credit to the work that the Men of League Foundation
2: does. No, he's, he's just a dynamo and given that he at one point was almost looking like one of our recipients. Yes. <laughs> is cavorting on the footy show. Um, <laughs> cavorting is a very good word for it. Um, he is a fine young man. He is our welfare officer. So obviously utterly key to what we do because all organisations need to remember what they are there for and mm. we are there for our welfare um, capability. So Ben's absolutely key to us and a joy and we feel very fortunate to have him.
1: Well thank you, Helen. Thanks for telling us a bit more about the Men of League Foundation. You're there welcome. are a couple of comp there's a competition going at the moment, I believe, ahead of Mother's Day. Yes. So any there mums is. that join yes. the Men of League Foundation between now and Mother's Day will receive a twenty five dollar roses only voucher. So That's if you're a very mum Very
2: well informed, Mary, good for you. I, I am
1: a member and I keep very well up to date <laughs> with what the send Men of an League email?
2: Did you get an email about it? I no, well, I don't think I mama, did. I no.
1: received something on social media. On oh, social media, excellent. Okay. So if
2: excellent. you're a
1: mum, make sure you join up with the Men of League Foundation and, and get something nice before Mother's Day. Yeah,
2: give and give back, hey. Thanks, Helen.
1: And now joining us live from Newcastle, we've got Sam Brebner, a Jillaroo, in preparation for the Jillaroos game against the Kiwi Ferns next Friday. Hi, Sam. Hello,
4: how are you going?
1: Very well. How are you going?
4: Very, very good. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: No, thank you so much for coming on. We're we're very excited about the Jillaroo's game against the Kiwi Ferns next week. How is team camp going?
4: Camp's actually really, really good. Um, the spirits are really high in camp, and I think you know the best thing that's happened to us is the loss in the Auckland Nines because everybody's just ready to go.
1: That's fantastic and there's been a big boost for you guys in the last couple of days. So I know that Harvey Norman is a big sponsor of yours. You've now got Jetstar on as a sleeve sponsor and Channel 9 have announced that they'll be broadcasting the game as well, which is really exciting.
4: It's so exciting. It's really overwhelming, I think. Every time we come into camp or we've got a new campaign, something new and exciting is happening, so it makes it all the more motivating to um, to be here and to perform for everyone. It's great.
0: Sam, it's funny. Do you feel like this is a watershed moment for women's rugby league? I was talking to Katie Page this week, and she, the word she kept uh, referring to is respect. Are you now finally getting the respect and the support?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it wasn't a lack of respect through through talent, I think, or anything, we just had to be showcased. And once people seen that we can actually play footy like the boys are just as good as the boys, we sort of earned, earned respect straight away. So I don't think it was a case of, you know, we were ever um, not respected. It was just uh, simply they were, we were never seen. And I think ch- thanks to, you know, now Channel 9 and our sponsors, Harvey Norman and Jetstar, You know we're being showcased and we're just earning that respect, which is great.
0: And for those listening, the Gillaroo's match will be shown after the men's uh, Australia and New Zealand test on Channel Nine on our main channel in Queensland and New South Wales. And Sam, importantly, it is now being called a double header. It's not a curtain raiser. You guys are on equal footing. How much? How significant is that for the playing group?
4: Oh, that is so awesome. It really just motivates us. And um, like I said, every year there's just something new and. Um, It just makes it more exciting to come into camp to see what the NRL, you know, will sort of support us with this year. So I actually am not sure that the girls are aware that that's what they're calling it. So I can't wait to go tell them.
1: Fantastic. There we go. We're breaking news on Ladies Who (laughs) League this morning. (laughs) Sam, another thing that the NRL has done this year, which I've absolutely loved, is that not only have you been named a State of Mind Ambassador this year, but Touch Football Australia representatives have also been named. So that to me really indicates that we are one big family. Can you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing as a State of Mind Ambassador for the NRL?
4: Yeah, sure. So um, we're just, we've just we had a couple of workshops to um, you know sort of get educated on stress um, and anxiety and, and mental health and all that sort of stuff so we can go around into the community and schools and talk about that and, Um, But like you said, it is a big family. So, you know, I think the NRL are making great efforts to not exclude anyone and that's just another campaign that's going to incorporate everyone and make everyone in the community feel like they're a part of the NRL.
1: No, you're certainly part of the family. Now, what can we expect from the Gillaroos for the game on Friday night?
4: Well, you know what? I'm so excited because there's just so much happening in our team at the moment. We've got... um, We've got Shanice Parker from WA. So she's flown all the way from Perth, whose mum actually was a Jillaroo in the first couple of years of the Jillaroos. And she played her first representative game for the All-Stars and she absolutely ripped them to shreds, which I'm so excited about. Um, And we've just got a lot of new faces, which is always good because we play the Kiwis a lot. So we like to study each other. You know, we know how they play off by heart. And they knew how we played off by heart, but we're all new now. So um, I'm guessing they have no idea, which I'm really excited about.
1: Oh, fantastic. Now, I also want to ask you, Sam, I feel like this has been a fantastic year for women's sport in Australia. We saw the success of the WBBL at the beginning of the year. We've seen the success of the Matildas and the Aussie Rugby Sevens team. What's been your favourite moment in women's sport this year so far?
4: Oh, I would say the Australian um, women's rugby seven girls making the Olympics. I thought that was awesome. I, I know a couple of girls, so I follow them. And um, I just think that's just unbelievable that, you know, I, of course, I love footy. So I just think it's great that that coat of football is made going to the Olympics and, and the girls actually made it. Um, I'm aware of their massive journey that started four years ago. And it's always great to see the hard work paid off.
1: Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining us. We're so excited about the game next Friday night. Everybody tune in. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic doubleheader and we wish you and the girls all the very best of luck.
4: Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to go tell them about the doubleheader.
1: No, go tell them. Run off and and make sure the Jillaroos tweet the reaction. We can't can't wait to hear it.
4: Okay, we will do. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks,
1: Sam. See you later. Bonnie, wasn't it great speaking to Sam? I have so much respect for our female athletes because often these women not only are playing sport at an elite level, but are also, you know, managing careers, managing
0: family, juggling everything for their passion to play elite sport. Yeah, the sacrifices that uh, quite often women make to pursue their, their sporting dream is enormous. As you mentioned, they're holding down full-time jobs. Often they do shift work that takes them away from their families. They keep a household running. They keep the children fed, bathed, And going to school, they keep their partners happy. Make sure that they're fed, bathed, and going to (laughs) work. work. Uh, And also, when they pick up injuries and things like that, um, you know, these girls, for rugby league at least, they 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 occur injuries like an ACL, just like men would. They they do their shoulders, just like men would. So they the the time that they have away and and it impacts on their home life is quite significant. And um, Helen, this is what we're seeing now with the results and the acknowledgement of our, our female rugby league players is a seismic shift that began probably four to five years ago. What
2: can you tell us about that? Well, only what I've observed, which is that um, four years ago with the formation of the commission, one of the priorities was women in the game, big, big subject. Um, and so in various ways that's been addressed, immediately the attention went to the national side um, and obviously to the, to the planning that, that we now see, which has resulted in pathways for girls to play the game all the way through. They don't have to stop at 13 like Casey, you know. Um, so they're a genuine pathway. So all of that obviously is part of four years worth of work done by many, many people in the commission and the NRL, um, that has now resulted in, um our female team um being part of Malmeninga's national coaching plan um being having a dedicated coach in Steve folks um having support teams being able to wear the coat of arms on their jersey mm-hmm. um are being paid so that they actually can at times bring mothers or friends to mind their children who often do come and do stay at mot- hotels nearby when they're playing all of those kinds of considerations now are part of what is understood to be the need the needs they have in order to give their very best on the field. So it's um, quite a change and it was clearly time. Um, for this to happen and, and then we see people like Katie Page who are lifelong supporters of, um, of women generally and in the game, um, fabulously Jetstar, um, now saying, listen, this is a, this is something A, we care about, um, uh, on many levels, but B, it's good business. They're good business. And fundamentally, I think that
1: the support that the Rugby League Commission has given the Gillaroos has been absolutely necessary because it needs to start from the top and then filter all the way
2: through Rugby League. We just have to have structure, don't you? You have, you have to wishing things will happen won't make it so. So, um, to, and again, to have. This, the game they're playing on Friday, uh, seen as a double header by the game, um, not as a curtain raiser. I mean, it was fabulous when they were a curtain raiser a few years ago because they actually got on the big stage. And I tell you what, the male players were gobsmacked when they saw the girls game. And some of the biggest fans the girls national side has are the elite players, male players of the game. Um, they've formed huge friendships and great mentoring, um, both ways, interestingly. So it's extraordinary. And it's, 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 I, it seems to me that that work of the four years administratively was really recognizing this pent up need for women to to be respected and regarded in this way and to be given every opportunity um, and I think now we're just going to sort of run helter-skelter into the future. It's very exciting. I can say that um, when we saw the Jellaroos last play, um,
0: I think it was over, actually it was last year, it was the Anzac Day mm-hmm. uh, delayed test last year and uh, Andrew Johns and Darren Lockyer were on the sideline and they stood there and critiqued the game like they do any other men's match and they were blown away by the skill level and the dedication that these girls and how far the game has grown. It's not slow. It's dynamic. Um, and what I love about rugby league for women is that it doesn't matter what size, shape, skill set you have, there is a position on that field for every woman. It doesn't matter if you're fast. It doesn't matter if you're a bit slower. It doesn't matter if you're a bit taller or a bit shorter. It's There is something for every woman. And um, the fact that the boys and, you know, an immortal and a future immortal mm-hmm. are uh, astounded by what they're watching and they sit there and they look at the team sheet and they say, What's her name? We need to get her on. She's, you know, I'd love to work with her. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're recognising talent and they're taking gender completely out of it, which is essentially what we're after. Well,
1: that's fantastic. And I think one of the next steps as well is getting those Jilla jerseys into Rebel Sport because there's such a demand
2: for them out there now. Exactly right, exactly right. And can I just share one very quick story? A girl who's just absolutely galvanising LaToya Billy, she's just turned 20 or about to turn 20, she lives on Moa Island in the Torres Strait Um, to play. No no rugby league there. She was a volleyballer but thought rugby league looked good, a little bit of touch. So to play, she's got to go from Moa Island to Horn Island, from Horn Island to Cairns, from Cairns to Brisbane and thence, wherever else, to get a game. So you've got, if you talk about dedication and application, and she is, that's a really, I mean, they're all names to, Look out for, but Latoya Billy is absolutely mind bogglingly fabulous. So, um, and then we've got, you know, I didn't realize that Shanice Parker's mum was a Gillaroo as well. I mean, we've got serious credentials to these people, not to mention Ruan Sims, who I'm happy to mm-hmm. say we have on the cover, we had on the cover of our March issue, I read Men that. of League magazine. <laughs> and we asked her to address, be our key speaker at our conference for our committee members. So. You know, within the game in all kinds of ways, these ladies are raising not just attention for the excellence that they represent on the field, but they're ambassadors for all of us who care about the game, happen to be female and consider that to be neither here nor there.
1: What a wonderful way to end that segment. Thank you, Helen. We'll take a break and come back shortly. My favourite segment And that's Mary's mix-up On Leicester City Watch this week Tottenham The only team That can beat the Foxes Lost ground When they drew one all With West Brom on Monday So the Foxes Only need three points From three games To be certain Of finishing at the top It could happen This weekend If they defeat Manchester United At Old Trafford So I'll be staying up For that game Come on you Foxes Uh, The Trans-Tasman is currently happening over in New Zealand. You would have heard my interviews with men, women's and mixed captains earlier this week. Uh, They've had a great start to the tournament. They won all their games against Japan and that's in all three divisions and then yesterday all three divisions also won their games against New Zealand. I'm so looking forward to keeping up with the progress of touch football. Big congratulations to Ash Sykes, the Canberra United striker who won the W League's Player of the Year at Tuesday night's Julie Dolan Warren Awards in Sydney, and separately, Keela Keneally, who is the first woman to win the Open Category at the Big Wave Awards, women doing tremendous things in all sorts of sports. I also wanted to urge all of you to be kind to each other online. I'm not sure whether all of you saw the video of Julie DeCaro and Sarah Spain, who are two female journos in the United States, having mean tweets read to them by males. Um. I'll post that video later because it was quite touching and and very, very sad to see men reading out mean tweets and not even being able to look at these women in the eye. Uh, My big message is if you wouldn't say it in real life, don't say it over the internet, so please be kind to each other. Finally, a big shout-out to Shannon Parry, who's a member of the Aussie Rugby Women's Sevens team. This week she wrote a letter to her 16-year-old self, and I just want to read a couple of lines because I found it very moving. Um Shannon, you don't know it yet, but you're going to educate and change so many young girls' lives. You and 19 of your best friends will change rugby in this country. They will be friends you lead and love, and you will inspire many other young 16-year-olds just like you. You're going to represent Australia and play footy like a girl. I just love that, and we're such big fans of the Aussie rugby women's sevens team on this podcast and can't wait to see them play footy like girls at the Rio Olympics. (laughs) What a tremendous celebration today has been of rugby league. Vonnie, thank you so much for coming in. It's been great to see you.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure and I, I just love it when uh, a collective group of women get together and we all have a, a common interest and um, and we're all mad leagueies
1: No, oh, I love it. And, Helen, thank you also for making the time. It's been great to hear about your journey with the Men of League Foundation and, and the journey of Women's Rugby League.
2: Yeah, look, thank you so, so much, Mary. What you're doing is fantastic. Everyone should be listening to these podcasts because I know you've got lots and lots of fabulous... uh Ladies in store. And I think, um. All of us um, like to have a voice and a few of us will. I mean, Vonnie and I were lucky enough today to have the mic. So thanks for that. No,
1: my pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. That's another episode of Ladies Who League Done and Dusted. Be sure to subscribe, listen to our podcast, send us a tweet at Ladies Who League, tag us in a picture on Instagram. We absolutely love to hear from you. I'm heading out to the Giants game this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I'll see you all next week. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. <laughs> He's too late. late.